0: Hello and welcome to the Epic Human Podcast. I'm your host Joe Blair. On today's episode I'll be interviewing Mike Vernon, director of key accounts for Global One Pet, a leader in the pet nutrition and specialty product industry. I've known Mike for over 20 years. We met actually in the seventh grade on the bus and we've been causing trouble ever since. Mike is an endurance athlete, does triathlons, and played both soccer and baseball at the collegiate level. He now lives in Scottsdale, Arizona with his wife, Two lovely little girls and by the time this podcast airs his third child a little boy his superpower is undoubtedly his unparalleled emotional intelligence he can make meaningful connections with seemingly anyone he approaches building new relationships with a level of authenticity and energy that's just infectious people gravitate to him hence that's why he's had a prolific career in sales across a number of different industries currently in the pet food industry in this podcast you'll learn how mike got into a career in sales and what's made him successful and how you can use sales skills in your life, regardless of what you do. Because after all, at the very least, we all have to sell ideas and sell ourselves in some respect to be successful. I think you'll enjoy our discussion. So without further ado, please give it up for an epic human, Mike Vernon. All right, we are live with uh, Michael Case Vernon uh, sitting out in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, how you doing, Mike?
1: I'm doing good today, Joe. Awesome Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, yeah, great to be, uh, great to have you on the the very first podcast, uh, which may or may not have a name yet. Um, thinking, about, <laughs> thinking about calling the Epic Human uh, Podcast, but it. Could have a totally different name uh, by the time anyone besides us hears this. So, um, so thanks for going on this this journey with me. Um, but uh, yeah, man, I guess just to start, uh, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, you know what you do, and, uh, and 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 about your your company and uh, and and the, the types of customers that you're serving.
1: Sure. Uh currently, uh I'm working for a uh small kind of innovative uh pet firm. We call ourselves uh but really we're uh you know, we're we're five guys and and uh a sixth woman who's basically our COO. And uh, we work with national retailers across the United States. Uh generally, you know, channel specific. Um but uh we we manufacture pet products. Um we help develop categories. Uh, we pioneer ingredients, and uh, we basically try to just listen to the customer out in the field and, and and listen to what they're having to say about their animals, and and try to bring those products to life.
0: Wow. Yeah. Uh, and it's called Global One.
1: Yeah. Global One Pet.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And so I think you know a lot of people have pets. They they go to maybe they go to PetSmart or whatnot, um, but most people probably don't run into too many people who work in the in the pet industry um and it seems like it's it's like one of those industries that you know people a lot of people don't think about but once you kind of dive into it it's it's gigantic and it's uh, you know complex and maybe you just tell us a little bit about the industry and uh, itself and you know what most people kind of wouldn't know or wouldn't think about it
1: uh well it's uh i mean it's a it's a growing industry, and it has been growing for the last, you know, 50, 60, 70 years, um, from the very get-go. And, uh, you know, you've got some major players within pet, um, some big companies such as uh, like Nestle, uh, Mars, uh, formerly Del Monte, Smuckers. Um, a lot of a lot of these companies are investing in in the pet category because it's uh it's got some similarities to some other really profitable channels Mm -hmm. um, that they're working in the fact that it's relatively recession proof it's not recession proof but it's it's pretty darn close just like grocery you got to buy food you got to buy uh things for your animals that you're going to need and and in particular pet ownership has like steadily climbed and people are treating their pets a little bit differently now it's it's no longer a uh, just uh, you know, leave the dog outside uh, near the, near the barn. I mean, these are members of the family now, so yeah. people are uh, people are spending money in it. So it's a uh, I mean, it's a billion, you know multi billion dollar industry um, with uh, a few key players and um, lots and lots of uh, channel strategy for sure from the uh, manufacturer side.
0: Yeah, you talk about being recession proof. Uh, it kind of reminds me of d- during the recession. Uh, alcohol stocks like you know went through the roof right because mm-hmm. that's, that's a classic uh, recession-proof industry but I imagine pets is is kind of similar I mean people you know want to spend more time with their pets they want to kind of embrace those relationships um, and, and maybe you could tell me a little bit uh, maybe you could tell everybody a little bit about just more about yourself like I guess walk me through the journey to you know where you are today Start from the beginning. You know, uh, I know a little bit about your childhood, probably more than I should. But, uh, uh, yeah, but you know, we'll that out. Walk me through. Walk me through the beginnings of uh, of Mike Vernon, and and then we can go all the way till today.
1: Sure, sure. Um, well. You know, my, you know, I, I have, a like, like you, Joe, we have a, you know, a classic Italian uh, family and mothers, um, and my mother likes to say that she knew I was going to be working with animals from the time I was five. Uh, I doubt that, but I think she's just claiming that. <laughs> um, but she says, uh, I, I did a lot of school projects when I was like five or six years old that all involved animals, and that's, that's sort of all I wanted to do. And uh, and uh, after that, I I branched out. I, I moved on to uh, GI Joes or Transformers or whatever it was. But um, she knew I had an interest, and and I I also I started to get an interest in the industry um, when I got this dog, Kearsarge. Uh, he was a he was a golden retriever, and um, we formed this bond. And I was moving around a lot, as you know, Joey, at that right. time. Uh, in my life, I was I had moved uh, several times in several years, and so I was always having to make new friends, and mm. I formed this uh, this bond with uh, my family, of course, but also the pet in my family, Kearsarge, uh, and he became one of the family. So uh, that sort of set me up for my psyche for the next, for, I guess, for my career. But um, I went to school in Illinois and then moved out to uh, Boulder, Colorado. Um, I, I had uh, started working for this uh, awesome company called night eyes incorporated and they're uh they're like an amoeba with every category and channel out there and Mm -hmm. uh for hard goods and uh really kind of like high volume lower price points but just kind of hitting hitting the model um and they had really innovative items uh you know led frisbees and flashlight collars and uh you know they had mobile products and hard and hardware products and it, it got me exposure to a lot of different industries really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I was in mobile uh, hardware, uh, pet, um, the dive market, military shows, uh, shot show, et cetera. Um, and so I went and I traveled to all these shows in my first year and it was, it was brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think I, I went to Vegas for two and a half weeks, and that was my first time ever being in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was uh, so it was it was a brutal year, but I got exposure to all these different industries. And the one that I I sort of got the most excited about was pet because I saw I got to see all these industry trade shows, and I walked around and you could see you know if things were down or things were up, mm-hmm. and in, and I and in pet you know we were talking about a kind of a weird economy at that time, and things were up up up, people mm-hmm. were growing. There was a lot of energy um, and passion, and uh, there was like this—you know—people. People were there not just to make money, but also to sell and and, and to uh, produce things that of value and things they like. Um, and I got attracted to it. Um, and there's some big dollars, you know, big dollars being thrown around in in that market, and I wanted to see if I could pursue. So. I started doing. I started selling leashes and collars for night eyes and kind of developed that channel a little bit for them. Um, But I knew that ultimately consumables, like the food side, uh, was going to be the the ultimate ticket if I was going to make a career out of this out of this channel. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I made a made a risky move and uh, and hooked up with a couple of guys um, who, oddly enough, are now my employer employers, (laughs) Global Mm -hmm. One Pet. And 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 made a and made a go trying to do a uh, an all natural pet food line and uh, moved from Boulder, Colorado to New England um, and started that and was there with them for about a year um, before I made uh, before we had to shut that shut that line down domestically in the United States. It continued on in Canada for a while, but mm-hmm. uh, I I sort of got laid off and that and that uh, opened up a door at Blue Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was at Global One, I really had to hustle. I really had to move and. I was in New York and Boston going basically to these distributors and accounts and it it taught me a lot. So although it was a short time with those guys, I kind of cut my teeth with them, um, while, you know, kind of being on my own and and learning the industry. And and there's, and New York, as you know, is if you can do business in New York, I feel like you can do it anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, that helped, that helped kind of get me in touch with the guys from blue. When, when the, uh, uh, uh when I when I lost my job at Global One and uh that opened the door for uh Blue Buffalo which was which has been the last about six and a half, seven years um before I went back to uh, Global One Pet. Um but uh you know Blue fantastic company, um wonderful people, uh passionate, focused. Um I mean it's like an agency, marketing agency turned pet food company and really has been the only new entry into the into that channel uh to really take on the, bi- the big the big dogs that's a bad pun but like uh you know the nestle's the mars uh the large conglomerates of the world who've been firmly established for mm-hmm. 30 40 50 years and they did it you know in a number of infuriating ways to the competition um but it was a it was a wonderful experience and uh um just happy to have had some time there
0: that's awesome
1: and uh
0: so i th- I think it's well known that um, first off, that's a really you know fascinating journey you know and kind of lots of twists and turns. Um, But but I think most people know that sales is kind of a a really valuable skill in life as well as in any career. Um, But actually, doing the the sales function at any company is uh, is the lifeblood of the organization. It's what you know, gets money through the door. It's it's the top line. It's it's incredibly important. Um, if you could take take me back to the very early days, you graduated college, um, and and you're thinking, what do I want to do? Uh, tell me about you know how 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 it, what it felt like to to get into sales. Like how did you how did you first kind of make your way in, um, and what was that what was that decision process like?
1: sure um well i was a i was a theology major at my college and uh but you know i I, i've always been attracted to business but my head wasn't in that space in college i wasn't ready to to really kind of dive into it and and uh so i chose another major um and so i'm in order to graduate from my college, everyone has to go through this kind of seminar, get you ready for leaving school and get resume all together. And this professional comes in, um, and basically kind of goes through everyone's stuff and, and makes things more attractive, uh, on paper and, uh, does, does, you know, test quizzes and interviews and, and, uh, you know, I, I, I interviewed this guy, and we just started talking and talking, 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 and having, you know, having a great conversation. And uh, I think there's a there's a there was a flow that kind of happened back and forth. And uh, at you know, I, and I was still unaware of what I was deciding to do. I was thinking trade. Um, I like to use my hands. I like to be active. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I also I had a desire to you know to make some money in in my life and be able to provide for, for the things that I would uh, desire or like. Um, and, uh, so, so long story short, uh, at the end of this seminar, you know, we had spent a few days together, kind of sharpened everything up. I, we were talking and basically my exit interview and, uh, you know, I, he be basically, we crossed off my resume and said, Hey dude. And he basically looked at me and said, Hey, I think you've got a gift in to be able to, uh, connect and communicate with, people quickly and easily and uh, you know, I, I'm earnest, I, you know, I try to tell the truth and everything that I do and, and show that. And, and, uh, and he said, I think you'd have a really good chance of, of uh, aspiring to the the money you want to make uh, in the sales arena.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I had uh, at that point in my life, my, <laughs> my brother Steve and myself and a few of my friends at school have been working in uh, this uh, retail store. Uh, Alpine shop and it was uh there's a three store chain and I think we had the smallest account this tiny three you know three thousand square foot two thousand square foot location in a in a satellite mall but we were banging the store was moving volume and it was it, it seriously because we had we had uh, we had four guys in there who were all a little chatty who liked gear. We were all, we were all climbers and bikers and and hikers and loved to be outdoors. And it was the passion that was coming through, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. just as much as, uh, the technical gear knowledge, I guess you could say, and the use of it. And we were out there, you know, doing it, biking, hiking, whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's that's where I, that's where I I that's where I first said hey I might I might want to go into this and and then it was a, a scale of economics decision after that to get into pet of course um of course and and also you know my passions as well my background Sure
0: sure wow I I I never knew you uh you guys did that that's uh that's that's neat I REI and and stores like that are just one of my favorite uh Consumer experiences. I could just spend a day in those stores, just talking to the, the folks in there and learning about the gear. And and uh, but but yeah, you're right. Ha- having someone who actually knows how to use the equipment, knows where it came from, how it was made, why you know why design decisions were made, um, that that really helps with that that process of of selling and and uh, and communicating marketing. Um, just out of curiosity, you talked about uh, being a theology major. Is there anything that you know you bring from that you know that study, that study of all the world's religions, that you bring to either your career or your personal life um, that that kind of
1: rings a bell? Um, yeah. Yeah, um, I, you know, I'm happy with my major. Uh, yeah. I don't look, I don't look back on it and say, "Oh, why did I do that?" Sure. Def- definitely not. Um, it prepared me in a lot of ways, um, but not like directly, I guess you could say, um, indirectly. But you know, I- I- achieve the same goal. Um, for, i guess first off the ability to process lots of information and long reading in like a foreign language and to be able to like bring that back and to try to read and write about it is is, is a difficult thing um probably probably the hardest thing um i mean just think about the King james version bible when it was when it was written um uh, i mean that's it's 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 like a foreign language right um so it was a ton of study but i think it what drove me into sales um, is I got a ton of exposure to different, different people, different religions, uh, different thought systems, um, and uh, economies of thought. And I think that uh, I learned that there's a lot of good in this world, and there's a there's a unifying factor for us all. And if you can hit that, and you can do that by uh, by being kind or, or finding the solution to the problem. Um, you know, you can do, you can do great things. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of analysis, there's a lot of reading, you know, I had to produce some pretty big, pretty big papers, uh, more frequently than some of my contemporaries at school. Um, but, uh, in that, in that same vein, Joe, um, I learned about a lot of cultures and, uh, and that unifying factor between everyone, you know, which is, uh, you know, everyone's got their own opinion on it, but kindness, respect, trust, love, um, and, uh, and being able to help and find a solution for people. And I try to channel that into my sales. So I guess that's a bit of a stretch, but, um, learning, you know, building on that foundation, um, has definitely helped me in sales. And I had a fantastic instructor, um, who was a 30 year, uh, Mar- uh, Marine Navy chaplain. Um, I think he was Princeton educated and my guy named Mike Hamilton, um, fantastic guy. Um, and he kind of took me under his wing, and and uh, he was used to ramb- rambunctious boys, obviously, um, uh, from his time in the in the Marines and Navy. And uh, he he was excellent about uh, about steering the path uh, while not pushing the agenda. So he's one of my favorite instructors for sure.
0: Yeah, well, it goes back to the question of what's the purpose of education, right? Is it to Simply train you for the skill sets you need in the workplace, or is it to create a more well-rounded educated person that can interact in the world in a multitude of ways? Um, and I think that's that's one of the big advantages, I think of you know more of a broad education um, foundation. Um, on the On the topic of connecting with people, you talk about connecting with people understanding different perspectives. If I were to, if I were asked, you know, what is your superpower? I would say it's the ability to create connections and relationships with new people right away, you know, be memorable, be engaging, find out what people are about. Um, So I'm, and I don't know if you view yourself in, in that, in that way, but I guess my question is, how much of that, from your perspective, being that person, um, in my view, how much of that is natural, just you know, comes off the tip of your tongue, or and how much of it is 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 calculated, is uh, is trained, is how much how much is trained versus just natural, and and uh, and how much do you work on that?
1: Um, I mean, I think uh, you know, sixty forty. You know 50 50 i think it's important to know your audience and to know what they need and to be that you know f- help them find that right you know that right program you know do they care about margin do they care about volume do they care about growing do they want to grow a brand or they do they want an established brand um their quality control so if you can like understand your customer um you can you can sort of not softball but you can you know it shows that you've taken an interest in their business and you hit you hit their hot buttons and then you combine that with you know that other 50% you you call it you know natural but I, I call it you know there's a there's a, a method to the madness and that's you know um be kind and follow through on what you say um you know uh and uh just be honest and try to present them with the solution. And, um, and if they say no, just look them in the face and smile and shake their hand and, and, you know, get them again next week when they have when they have another need. So it's like, uh, you know, I think it's 50, 50, Joe, for sure. But the technical side is important. Um, you know, I just said knowing about their business and what they want, you know, you get a lot of that from, uh you know uh you know looking at the data and having access to the data is key joe for sure Mm -hmm. um but you know being able to look at uh you know let's say market data uh, gfk something like that and recognize a need for a customer and to be able to bring them uh, a solution um, um a profitable solution where they could potentially generate revenue um i mean that's that's the niche i guess
0: True, true. I, I think that's a good point. I, I worked with a guy in sales uh, who said to me that the follow through was one of the most important aspects of what he did because there are a number of naturally gregarious folks that get into sales, and they can chum it up, and they can have a beer and, and you know have fun on the golf course. But in terms of being prepared, uh, Having the answers to technical questions, being able to follow through with every customer, oftentimes that is is where people get tripped up. Um, but I don't want to, you know, I also don't want to underestimate the the natural side. And, and I just to paint a picture because I, I think I have about I don't know, ten percent of, of what you have in this in this uh, this area. But uh, just to paint a picture, you and I were at a wedding recently where we knew a few people. We knew the family. We knew the groom side very well. Uh, And, you know, I'm out there talking to a lot of the groom's friends from other walks of life and and feel like I'm getting into it and, and, you know, being very uh, extroverted. And then I see you talking to uh, the the, the bride's side of the family who are from Peru, Uh, questionable how much English they actually speak And you're just, you just sit down at the table with them and start chatting it up with them. And I was thinking that's just classic Mike. So explain that to me. (laughs)
1: Oh, uh, I don't know. Um, Well, I think everyone has a wedding personality. Like, you know, you get like, there's Mike and then there's wedding Mike. And then there's Joe and there's wedding Joe. And everyone becomes this larger than life character at a wedding. Um, But... I, I don't know, uh, they were the uh, family of a good friend of ours, they were sitting by themselves, they didn't know any English, um, or they knew some, a few of them did, but not all of them, and um, I, I wanted to go over and, and say hello and welcome them into, into this little tribe that we have amongst all of our friends, and of course with Paul, um, the guy who got married. Uh, so um, I don't know what it is, and I'm also curious about people, Joe. Uh-huh. I'm really curious I want to know kind of who they are and, and, and where they came from and everyone's got and such a, a great story uh, to tell and you can learn a lot from people um, uh, in, in not a lot of time from from what they say and turns out one of the guys uh, I was speaking to is an older gentleman um you know turned out to be uh some kind of uh, minister or the department of ag for for the country peru um and uh so it's just like you know you wouldn't you wouldn't think that you're looking at the table everyone's having like a really relaxed time and not a lot of talking and and uh you know they were just kind of great great uh great to meet and also practice my spanish on um (laughs) which is uh uh, conversational at best. Um, generally not, but, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it, I don't know, I don't know if that's a gift though. I mean, there's, uh, I think it's just being comfortable with who you are and, 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 and being able to navigate a conversation. Uh, awkward pauses are okay for me. Like, you know, I think people will say a lot in awkward pauses. Um, I learned that early on when I sat in front of this, this executive and, uh, 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 I just started talking and talking and talking and talking and then I realized that I just told him everything that I didn't need want to tell him um, and all he did was sit there and just didn't say anything and this was young early in my career and the power of silence and um, so I let that silence go sometimes and then the vo- everyone's voice can be heard in a sense
0: <laughs> really is that a, is that a technique tell, tell me more about that the the power of the awkward silence
1: uh, well, I mean, people call it awkward. I think all, a lot of the young, younger kids today, and I'm technically still a younger kid, cause it's, so I hear it a lot. It's like, oh, everything's awkward. That's awkward. Why would I do that? It's awkward. But like, it's okay to have an awkward situation. It's okay to, like, that, 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 through that struggle, oftentimes you get a lot of progress. Um And, uh, you know, letting you know, letting people speak and, and, and opening up and, uh, you know, silence is not a a bad thing, right? Like silence will be filled eventually. Um, and obviously it's harder when you're speaking in in another, in another language and there's probably going to be more silence because of that. But, um, I, I definitely use that in my, uh, in my, in my work and being able to listen to people, Joe, I mean, that's, that's ultimately, and, and hear them and remember them. Um, I'm a lot better at, at, Remembering details of people's lives. Um, I'm pretty good with names. I'm not fantastic enough to be dangerous, but not enough to be, you know, like everyone I know. But, um, you know, I remember details about their life, things that I think are that that they're passionate about and not even about work. Um, Mm -hmm. I knew this girl who uh, was really like passionate about mountain biking. And so we didn't really like know each other. Um, And but every time I saw this girl, I met, we talked about mountain biking we, and we never worked together. Um, and, uh, you know, a few years later on, she was in a role where we, where we could work together and the relationship was formed, but not because I wanted to do business with her, but because we shared a common interest and a passion. And, and that's all we talked about. And and I made it clear that that's, that's all I really wanted to talk about, you know, and, uh, you know, you, you're not force-selling people. You're building, you know, relationships with them, and I think that's important uh, to not just talk about the work but also, like, the things that uh, that, that they do. I mean, my, bro- uh, my brother Steve's got this great adage, and I got to quote him on this, mm-hmm. um, but he, uh, when he interviews people, uh, one, one of the first things he does uh, when he asks them is, what do you like to do for fun? And mm-hmm. it's sort of like a weird thing thing to start an interview with um but <laughs> if people can't like aren't don't open up about like what they're passionate about or what they like whether it's you know whether it's as boring as you know uh, reading a book and reading a book is not boring but just as an example um or being with their family or uh or running or or whatever whatever it is if people can't talk about what their passions it might be difficult for them to to really form those deep true uh, relationships um, and the trusting ones and the ones that are super high function where you don't have to have 10 emails going back and forth trying to explain something you know you can do it via an email and maybe a text or maybe a beer you know like and you can get stuff done very very quickly um, when you have that kind of established trust so they know that you're not trying to run anything by them and vice versa. And do you just remember all that stuff? Do you
0: just keep all that stuff in your head, or do you have a system that you use to kind of track those things and jog
1: your memory? Oh, uh, uh, you know, I, I use uh, a standard CRM tool, but uh, really it's it's in my head. It's in my phone. Um, I'll write, you know, little things here and there, but I tr- it's mostly in my head, Joe. Um, just trying to remember, you know, people and, um, I'm great with the face and and uh, as far as you know being able to recognize people and seek them out and uh, Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both some of it's working together, you know, but a lot of it's just you know a conversation we had three years ago uh, at a bar <laughs> in Las Vegas, you know got an industry show and uh, we had a good laugh and um, I Remember a good genuine laugh for myself, too. So if you can make me laugh, you're pretty much in <laughs> <laughs> Nice yeah,
0: I mean, and I think, uh, I think what you talk about in terms of sitting down at the table with the, the Peruvian family uh, because they didn't know anyone, because they were kind of the, the ones who were new to the group, I, I think that's a, I mean, that, that goes beyond just being gregarious, that's, that's going out and seeking out the folks that maybe are, are less comfortable um, and I, I always I always think back to when I first you know moved to a new school to, in Connecticut. Uh, you know there were one or two people that reached out to me uh, and and kind of noticed that I was uh, the new ki- the new kid, uh, more lonely uh, at that point. And I always thought that was a really valuable skill to have. Uh, and Obviously, now as a parent, kind of, I'm trying to instill that value, um, but it's you know it's a hard thing to do. It's it's both it, it's difficult as an adult, let alone as as a kid being kind of, you know, much less mature, much less secure in yourself. Um, I guess, how do you think about that as as a parent? Your kids are a little bit older than mine. Um, is that something you, you you know you try to instill with them, and, and how do you do that?
1: Sure. Um... You know my kids are, um, you know, a little young. I mean, they're basically uh, five and a half, four and and one away. and the uh, way. And you know, my, I'm not gonna force that that on them. Mm-hmm. I think there is a little bit of natural, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I mean, I don't want. I like. I don't. If they don't want to give some, like even one of my friends, a high five, and like they don't have to, mm-hmm. um, because I want them to be comfortable. And and if they if they would like to give a high five, that's great. Um, and, but if they don't, you know, I'm not going to be like, you know, you know, give them a high five or give them a hug. Like, I don't like, I'm not like, I don't, my kids don't over hug, mm-hmm. you know, just go around, you know, and, and cause I want them to really, truly genuinely feel that mm-hmm. it my by the way, my kids give high fives all the time <laughs> if they want to, but if like, if they sure. don't know you and if like, they just met you or something like that, they're not, they're not going to do that. And, and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with them being a little more reserved at least until they're older. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think, you know, uh, manners are important in a sense. So we, so I, you know, I, I teach them, uh, I try to teach them to say hello and be grateful and thankful for the gifts and the uh, opportunities that they receive. And I think they're starting to get, I think Evie's almost six years old now and, and she's starting to come together as far as, uh, you know, thanking people for, for, for generosity, um, or if they're, she's visiting your friend's house, um, mm-hmm. or even if I, put another helping of mac and cheese on her plate um, because they, you know, that, you know, they just, they just don't know when they need to be grateful. And um, so I guess that's where I kind of focus is just uh just on that gratitude aspect of it. And, and, and to do one others and, and to be kind, um, but also be interesting and take an interest in things. Um, I don't care what they do in life. I really don't. I know that they're going to be great. I just want them to want, to do it and to and to be interested in something um, and not just to work a job to work a job. I think that's that's a, uh, a limitless uh, career opportunity.
0: It's so much more impactful with kids when you, you show them instead of tell them. Uh, I, I dealt with this recently because uh, at the park we would oftentimes a new kid would show up, and I—this is a, a year or two ago—I would tell my, my older son, "Hey, go go say hi to that kid and, and see you know how he's doing or something like that." And he would just give me this look like, "I don't, I don't want to do that. Like, no way." Um, and I kind of got continuous resistance anytime I tried that. And I'm thinking, well, you know, he's normally kind of a, a friendly uh, kid. Uh, so then I started thinking about it and then I decided maybe I'll flip it on its head. And instead of doing that, I would just go and, and say hi to the kid and, and say, Hey, what's your name? Hey, who are you? Uh, and that was a much more productive, uh, process, I think, because it took the pressure off of my son and it made it, and it, again, it was showing by, or, or teaching by showing or teaching by leading as opposed to, Hey, go do this, uh, and, and putting all the pressure on on you.
1: Yeah, I mean, and then and, and then your boy is mimicking, you know, and following, right. and that's a that's a very easy uh, way for young children to learn is by mimicking. It's not an easy way; it is a, the greatest way. That's how they that's how they really kind of learn some foundational skills in their life. Um, but uh, in particular, in the youth, that's really cool. And so when you, we do you went over and talked to this kid. Um, could you transition out slowly, fade to black, or did you have to stay? Did you have to stay with them the whole time?
0: Uh, I think I'm I'm more in the stay with them category, um, and I, I think what what ends up happening is I end up like leading a group of kids to play, uh, like hey, let's all play hide and seek, and and uh, and again that takes that takes the pressure off, um, you know, my kids to to go ahead and lead that. But I've noticed more recently they you know they've started taking the lead and, and doing more of that on their own and and whether you, you know and I don't take full credit uh, because part of that is just growing up or maturing or going through a different phase or building relationships uh, but but I, I have been able to back out slowly over time but in the moment it's kind of like hey you're you're bought in now you better uh, you better come up with a fun game uh, but something else you said uh, was interesting to me which was, uh, you know, you don't have to give people a high five. You don't have to uh, hug people. That's something that, that my wife, uh, Teva, felt very strongly about. And uh, you might identify this w- with this, but coming from the Italian family, it was, you have to kiss grandma, right? You have to kiss great grandma. She gets to pinch your cheeks. Like, you are not in charge of your body. We decide who you hug and kiss. And if you don't like it, too bad uh and so for me I, it was it was a bit uh jarring to say to flip flip that and say no you're in charge of your body as a kid but i i've come around full circle and i think uh it's it's really important uh to to kind of give young people uh, that ownership over their body and i'm in charge and i need to feel comfortable with with touching people uh, i mean especially in today's world um and, and so we, that's, that's absolutely something we, we practice as well.
1: Cause I think about it, like, you know, uh, you know, the parents have probably known themselves for a while, or let's say like two, two parents are friends, right. And they've known each other for like 25 years and you want your kid to like the other person. Right. Mm-hmm. And to show that, you know, your, your, you know, your, your kids are great, are, are happy, great kids and they love you too. But this is the first time that your children are meeting the other people sometimes right so think about yourself you know think about like you know going out with a group of friends and like meeting someone for the first time and the first thing you do is jump in for a giant hug that's not me right um am i yeah do i like to give hugs you betcha just with just with people that i'm comfortable with um and i feel that way about the kids too your wife's a swipe a smart smart woman (laughs) (laughs) Jeff.
0: i agree i agree for the record um yeah, I, I think that's and and that's even more true. I think uh, with these days with people who have families that are not in the immediate vicinity, uh, and, and in, in a lot of ways it's probably harder because uh, aunts and uncles, grandparents come into town. They haven't the kids haven't seen them in person for six months, and then all of a sudden it's hey, what you know? Why why aren't I getting a, a big hug and a kiss? Uh, but I mean, luckily, I think, you know, in our family that there's a general understanding and, and we've communicated our policy on it. But I imagine that's that's something that's that's challenging um, in some cases.
1: Uh, could be. Could be yeah. for sure. But nothing. Uh, uh, you know, my mom, my mom was a school teacher growing up um, you know, she's seen lots of kids, you know, so she, she's, she's got this kind of good perspective that, you know, every kid's a little bit differently. Every, every kid's going to grow a different time. You know, sometimes it's okay to push, but other times it's not, you know, don't push because they need to learn on them on their own. You know, I had to learn lessons on my own growing up. Sometimes you could tell me like 12 times and I'd be like, okay. And I'd still go do the opposite. Um, and I needed to learn you know, on my own. And now those, those, those convictions are firm in my, in my, in my, in my foundation. And I don't make those mistakes again. So it's like, uh, I mean, every kid's a little bit different to me. Um, and some, like my, my friend, good friend in Florida, his kid, first time he met me, like ran across the floor and just gave me a bear hug. And I was actually uncomfortable with it. I was like, Whoa, where'd this come yeah. from? And then I, and then I, of course, you know, gave him a big hug because, you know, he was listening to his dad and his dad, you know, I grew up with this kid and his dad had given a lot of, uh, you know, got a lot of backstory on us and the kid just loved it and loved the the stories. (laughs) and, And honestly, that seriously, honestly, and just, you know, and wanted to know all about these different things that I did when I was a kid with his dad. And, you know, I, there was like this, you know, there was a history there, um, uh, which I didn't have yet. So it almost was like a role reversal. Yeah. My,
0: my youngest is, is like that. Uh, he'll just, Minutes after meeting someone, a stranger at the park, he'll just start. Uh, yeah, especially if it's a woman, he'll just start like kind of hugging with them, sitting with them, smiling, giggling. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's the, there's the other end of the spectrum. But um, how are you feeling about uh, having? You have two girls. You have a boy on the way. How are you thinking about you know having a boy versus you know having girls? what's that thought process like having grown up with both?
1: Um, well, I'm, I mean, you're one of three boys. I'm one of three boys plus a sister. Um, so big families, but you know, kind of lots of guys around. Um, (laughs) um, and, uh, I'm, I'm great with it. Yeah. You know, Kelly and I talked about this, my wife Kelly and, uh, if I had had another girl, I would have been ecstatic because you know, these girls, uh, I don't, raise my girls very much differently than i think i would raise a boy i'm sure there's going to be different moments um but i try to teach teach the same philosophies and uh you know sort of how you should go about life and uh, or how you should think about things or um so i i'm i'm doing pretty good um you know two girls i thought was going to be like early on i didn't you know it was i i didn't know how it was going to go because the the personalities had not come out yet and and you know I didn't know I wasn't you know I wasn't around around that you know uh growing up as much um but it's been fantastic and you know my girls are are badasses um and I hope I, I hope to make them um you know uh or to to assist them or to guide them actually I want to I don't want to make them anything I want them to want to be something mm-hmm. um and uh be passionate about whatever they do um so uh I think it's a it's a great time uh uh, it's a great time. It's, it's, it, it, I mean, there's a, it's a lot, right? Like I have to, I have to check myself sometimes in my, in my, in my learned language, you know, when I'm talking to my girls and stuff like that about how to phrase things. And, and, and there's a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of high pitch screaming sometimes with my children. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but other than that, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic, Joe. I take my girls canoeing, fishing, play soccer, Um, and then we go and we brush the doll's hair and play with mermaids and do all our fun, you know, typical girls-type stuff. So uh, just all I want to do is just make them balanced, and uh, I'm excited for this boy. It's going to be – you know, it's funny because everyone keeps everyone, all these people are coming up to me like, yeah, hey, you're ready, ready for the boy. And, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. And, and, and it's funny because I thought I would feel kind of differently, but the psyche in my mind about it is exactly the same, whether it's a boy or a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh. I mean, I know I'm probably going to eat my words on this one because that's the way life goes. But, you know, <laughs> I've got I've got, a, you know, I've got a loving, wonderful family around me and everyone takes care. So I'm I'm feeling pretty good about this next one.
0: Yeah. And, and you talked about being a rambunctious boy. Uh, you, you were quite a handful. I think your mother would say you were quite a handful growing up.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but but you've but you've changed a lot since then. I mean
1: you know I, I had lots i had lots of energy um, <laughs> i had lots of energy a tremendous amount um, <laughs> uh and uh which was good for sports it was great for sports um, and uh and uh but you know my my brothers and i were all pretty excitable fellows and we were always playing practical jokes and 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 and, and to i think uh you know my my dad did never he, we had rules. We had lots of rules. Um, you know, my mom was sort of the enforcer. My dad was the, was also the enforcer, but in a different way. Um, okay. uh, and, uh, we had, we definitely had rules, but my dad was, I guess he was, uh, I've heard this a lot from like old kind of old, older school parents. Um, and that's not a technical term, but just kind of older parents where he, he never wanted to box us in. Um, and, and he used to tell my mom that, and she never got it. And I never got it either, but he would, he would say, don't box them in. And it's funny because you, and, and we were never doing like really bad stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like I would jump out of a tree and land in a pile of leaves and get hurt or something. And then my mom would yell at me and he's like, it's okay. He's on an adventure. You know, like <laughs> he would, he, he would, he didn't, they never wanted our creativity to be stifled. And, you know, if we needed to, you know, go for, go for a walk and you know, he would let us and I, I don't know. He, he, he His approach was really good, um, but he definitely you know, never really boxed us in. Now, we had discipline and we got grounded and had all that crazy stuff, um, which is actually not that crazy because it happens. But, um, you know, he was he was a little bit different in his strategy. Um, like, uh, uh, OK, I was never allowed to have guns in the house when I was a kid. I'm talking like play guns. Ever. So I think right. I think the first playground I ever really saw was at your house. Right? Yeah. Um, we, we had an <laughs> arsenal. Yeah, I, I, know. I know. I was like, what are these things? The shovel? Um, no, it was it was it was a it was play a gun. But I, I, I wasn't allowed to uh, have a play gun in the house. And uh, but, you know, like when I was like seven years old, my dad on Christmas Day goes down into the rafters and pulls down a BB gun, teaches me, teaches me how to shoot it and says, go have fun you know, um, mm-hmm. and we would go out, and we had some property, and go out into the fields, and, you know, we weren't getting into trouble, and we would just kind of go and, and be boys, and we, and we definitely, we definitely, you know, pushed some, push some moments, but we survived, um, so it was, you know, we weren't allowed to play with them, but we were allowed to use them, but we had to respect them, mm-hmm. um, and I think that, that was important, so we, you know, we were taught some, some basic elements of gun safety and all that stuff. And really this is just you know, a pellet gun or whatever, but, um, we could go out and use it. Um, but we couldn't shoot at other people. I mean, uh, obviously, and even with play guns, like you, you could, you could come over to my house as a kid, but you couldn't bring, bring your play gun, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, but it wasn't like he was anti gun cause he wasn't, I mean, you got a you got a seven year old BB gun. That's crazy. Um, yeah. Uh, but he trusted us, and he taught us, and we, and we, we really respected, we respected that. So.
0: Yeah, yeah, we, um, we, uh, I mean, that was pretty progressive for your parents to not allow play guns. You, you know, in that time period, um, that was, I think, less common. Um, but it's interesting that they, uh, the flip side of it is that they, they would let you have a BB gun at a relatively young age, um, under under proper guidance and whatnot. Our house was kind of the opposite in that not only did we have every kind of play gun, but we also had real guns in the house. My my dad, being an ex military guy, had uh, two handguns locked in a, in a safe um, for for most of our growing up. And and similarly, we not quite that young, but at a relatively young age, we we went out and shot BB guns, shot real guns. Uh, you know, early teen type of years and learned about gun safety, learned about Never, never point a gun at something you don't want to shoot, uh, all those, all those uh, very important tips, um, and, uh, and things I still think about. I think I, I respect guns and, the, and the, the danger of guns, I think, a lot more than a lot of people have a lot more experience with guns uh, because of that kind of early um, experience. Um, you talked a little bit about your dad. I mean, how old were you when you lost your dad um talk to talk to me a little bit about that experience. I remember I remember it well myself, but um how, how has that changed the person you are, um the, the way you want to be a dad uh and, and the way you want to build your, your family?
1: Ooh, um a lot. I th- i I'd say uh I you know my dad passed when I was 16 years old, sort of in, right in the middle of high school, lots of stuff going on. Um and uh it um I was I, I was sort of forced to grow up pretty quickly. I had a younger brother and sister and I, and I I would just I would just rain terror on them. I would just <laughs> absolutely just rain terror like my poor little brother. Oh my gosh, we we'd get him dressed up in pads and just put him out in the in the mud to him up. And he we were just playing football, but like, you know, he was so much smaller than us, but we would but i I stopped thinking um I stopped thinking so much about myself, to be perfectly honest, Mm -hmm. and what I was doing and where I was going and what's going to happen to me versus um, what's going to happen to them and the people around me. And really, it was my immediate family. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was sort of thrust into this role and my my older brother even more so. but uh, I just, I, I, I did have a fundamental change and it took, it was like a reboot for me. It really was. Like I sort of shut down for about six months mm. and then kind of came back kind of a, almost like, you know, living in, in a, in in a, in a different purpose, still an SOB sometimes don't get me wrong, still <laughs> raining down on my sister and brother, but um, always, always with this little growing seed of like, of, of what, of, uh, of, and I'm not feeling a void of. of of my father but that little parental seed planted in the back of my head um because I wanted to be there for them because I felt I I felt honestly Joe, I you know I loved my dad he was a great guy great man good businessman um good writer um great athlete and uh I I felt honestly really bad that my sister and brother Dave didn't get more time with him like my like Steve my older brother and I did mm. and I so I tried to and I could never emanate, you know, I could never match that at that age. But I tried to get little little pieces uh, along the way. And uh, I think that that made me feel better because it brought me closer to my dad. And it also, you know, provided some care and comfort that might normally not be there, you know, with a single mother household uh, to my, my brother, my young, younger brother and younger sister.
0: Yeah, I. I, I can't imagine how challenging that that was. I mean, and I was there for for a lot of it. Um, but it, it was like you know it was like looking into it was like looking through the glass, you're right. I mean, you, you can only get so, so much of a, of a sense of it. Um, but uh, but your your personality did change quite a bit, you know, I would say as a result of that you know, having to mature, uh, early on. And, and yeah, I think there was, there was a, obviously a, a a grieving period. Um, but, and you moved. So, so we weren't together day to day, but, uh, I think that, you know, that had a a big effect on your, your maturity level and, and the way you kind of viewed the world and, and whatnot. I mean, and that's just me from the outside looking in, but, um, it seems like you managed stress a lot better. I mean,
1: yeah. Over time. Um, yeah, and i not to get too, too far into this, but it was a, you know, a pretty traumatic moment and, um, you know, things don't compare sometimes to like the stress of, of a, of a, of a traumatic moment like that. And that yeah. was, uh, so I, I, I think you're right. I, I try to be cooler. Um, I tend to be cooler um, in moments. Everyone, everyone has their moments. Right. But, um, uh, being able to kind of see the calm because ultimately I know if I'm selling, you know, it's just dog food or it's just treats or it's just some other line I'm trying to nail into a, like a national retailer or whatever. Um, because that, that is what it is and it doesn't hold a candle to the, you know, the depth of, you know, a loss or, um, or another, even other traumatic moment. Um, you know, it just, uh, so yeah, it definitely, it definitely cooled me out. I also found, uh, I found my rhythm a little bit after that where I realized I needed to be uh working out a lot uh to get some sort of my he b i and talking about you know being a kid with tons of energy um just to be able to to be able to like come to a point where um you know i my, I need to listen to myself I, my body needed to have action I need to run yeah. six miles eight miles I need to go bike fifty um or swim a couple or run up a mountain or something, and just you know just enough like every few days to to, uh, to kind of cool my jets. And then I just had, you know, I was much more clear in the mind. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's, I think that's really important. I mean, and they, it's said that that's especially true, true for boys, you know, in, in the early years, but I think for all kids, um, the idea of just sitting in a classroom for six hours and hardly moving recesses going away, uh, is just, I don't know. It just sounds terrible and, and it sounds short-sighted and just illogical. Uh, I mean, I'm, I don't know if you're still this way, but, but I, you know, I'm, I'm the way you were at that time, even today. Whereas if I don't really exercise for three or four days straight, I just start to get anxious and jittery and, and, uh, irritable.
1: Yeah. I think there's probably some chemical, some, some chemical, uh, you know, uh, reason reason for this, uh, you know, but, um, Uh, that probably dates back hundreds of thousands of years, if not millions of years. But like, you know, I just think I need, you know, I rest in action a little bit. My mind can shut it down. Um, and I stop thinking about the things that are right in front of me and I start looking out to what I'm doing or, or down the road, if I'm going for a run and I can shut it off and it's like a break for my mind in a sense. Um, my body takes over, you know, a lot of it's, you know, muscle memory and doing all this stuff and I come back and I feel refreshed Uh, and I could go out for a 10 mile run you know, and come back and, and work better than, and with more energy and more enthusiasm than I, if I had just stayed there, um, and tried to, tried to work through, uh, that moment. So it's, uh, I don't know, it's something, it's, it, it's ingrained in me though. I have, to, I have to carve out time for me. I know it's a part of my, my professional success. And if I don't do that, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get into trouble and I, I won't be, I won't be as clairvoyant in my moments, and um, uh, it, it has to be done. It is, it is a, it is a non-negotiable uh, on my list. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Same here. I, I, I think for me, it's. Uh, I, I just view it as, as therapy. Like that is, that is, uh, a replacement, maybe not a replacement, but a kind of a necessary aspect of, of my kind of mental health, as in, in addition to my physical health. And uh, yeah, the, the return on investment in. From both a career and a personal life perspective, is just off the charts. Um, and so, let me let me ask you this: If now that now that we're I don't know we're approaching middle age, I guess you could say uh, quarter life crisis type type age,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what what advice would you have given yourself? Whether it's like earlier in your career or you know as a, as a young adult. Uh, knowing what you know now, what kind of advice would you would you have for your yourself, your a younger version of yourself?
1: Oh, um, hmm. I would have said lots of things. Um, honestly, um, I would have told myself to take more time for me. In a sense, and not the less time, like at the office, because I think it's important to put to put your time in. And you know, I worked a lot, or in my early days, a lot of hours, and and uh, you know, that time is irreplaceable, and it accelerated me at a trajectory because I was consuming so much information and and trying to and trying to to grow and learn and build my business and being at the office and being around people is is important, um, but. Uh, I mean, we, we just talked about the the rhythm a little bit and mm-hmm. finding your rhythm. I would have told myself my rhythm a little bit more cause it was a, such a learned process, um, through trial and error. Um, mm-hmm. some, and sometimes error. Um, I've always learned from my mistakes. Um, I, I, I think about them. I dwell on them probably too long. Um, I think if I could disconnect like the, uh, if I could disconnect, like worrying so much about the moment um, versus making sure that you learn from the, uh, from the error. I mean that, and I told myself, you know, now telling myself 10 years ago, I think I would have had, I would have removed a lot of unnecessary stressors along the way that, you know, shouldn't have affected me or, or shouldn't have made me, you know, act a certain way. Um, But really I would, I would have shared, shared my rhythm, shared my balance. Hey, you know, it's like I didn't know, it's like I, I knew myself at that age, but I didn't really know myself or what I need to perform at the highest level, you know, being an athlete in college, you know what you need to do, you know, you you, you got to hit this ball, you got to catch that ball, you got to shoot, shoot the goal, you know, you, uh whatever, what, you, you know, your end goal, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And you know how to do it You, you do by practice and repetition and teamwork and communication and all this other stuff. It's more structured. Um, Way structured, yeah. and uh, and it, it secretly, as all, although I'm not on the outside, I'm, I I've worked in the corporate world, but I'm not. I don't really. I, that's not a desire for me. I need to have a structure, uh, and it can be loose too. Mm-hmm. You know, you have your 24-hour day, and I don't have to go for a workout or at the same time every day. Um, right. you know, it can, it can move around. So I, like some people have to get up at 5 AM and go and do it. Um, but sometimes I wake up early in the morning at 6 AM and I got something rolling in my mind and I want to go sit at my desk for two and a half hours and, and bang out some good emails or make some some calls to the East coast or whatever that may be. And I know that, you know, the time put in there, um, you know, I'll be able to, you know, offset that later in the day with some kind of workout. Um, so just knowing the rhythm for myself and, and also Joe, don't be afraid to ask for help
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and, and to find good mentors and to seek them out and to make and, and to, and to take nothing, you know, uh, to take nothing from them. Like, you know, when I seek out a mentor, I'm not, I don't want, you know, uh, I just want to listen. Honestly, I just want to be around them. I want to see how they function and how they work. Um, and don't be afraid to ask someone about that to say, Hey, I, you know, this is what I'm trying to do in my career. You know, I'm you know, I like what you're doing, you know, yeah. can I observe, can I help, you know, can you teach me? And I think people, you know, will be open, be open to that as long as you're earnest about it. And uh, um, yeah, I think those are those are the few little tidbits. I mean, I'm sure there's a ton more I'd be like, you know. Don't eat so much. Or <laughs> <laughs> Don't drink so much. Yeah. Don't drink so much. Um, you know. Uh, my my, keep, my answer. Keep, keep that car that you sold that you definitely shouldn't have sold. but <laughs> That kind of stuff.
0: Um, in just in thinking about that question for myself, I I would just tell myself to just not worry so much. I, I think that's, and you mentioned that uh, as well. But just I I remember very early. Uh, in my career, and still to this day, but uh, more so earlier, just being constantly worried about the future, just, oh, what's going to happen? You know, what happened? What's going to happen if this project doesn't go well? Or, you know, where am I going to be in five years? How's it all going to unfold? Whereas recently, uh, I'm trying to, what I call just be more comfortable with uncertainty, uh, and just comfortable with, I don't know what's going to happen in 2 or 3 years. Exactly where I'll be, exactly what I'm I'll be doing, you know, exactly at what point in my career I I will be, but just kind of having the the confidence that I'll be able to handle it when I when I get there and that good things will happen because I'm I'm working hard now and I'm, you know, and I'm not not just working hard but working with great people working on something i believe in and uh and building relationships you know, in a genuine way and that just just having more faith that it's that it's going to work out uh is something i tr- i try to work on and i you know i definitely would have liked to be you know have a have a more honed skill set in that area earlier on in my
1: life it's funny sometimes i think that the stress is. <laughs> I know this is not super. The stress is almost needed, though, right? Yeah. Sometimes for me, yes. To there's attention to to keep me and 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 I don't want it, right? I don't want to have like these feelings upon me, and um. But you almost need it, a stressor, in order to provoke a reaction. Um. And and the more pressure that is put on me, the greater the reaction that I have. Um almost push it off of me <laughs> yeah big boulder off of me. I know what you're um, saying so but but ultimately when that I guess when that boulder gets rolling I mean uh, you know I, I, yeah yeah I don't know I don't know I don't know about that no I, I know I,
0: what you mean I, there's because there's a tension right because you could always look back and say well if I hadn't worried so much about that I probably wouldn't I might not have gotten my 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 behind out of gear in which case, yeah. you know, so all that worrying was actually productive in some, in some way. Um, yeah. Although
1: but, uncomfortable and I'm totally yeah. okay with being uncomfortable. And I think going back to going and like meeting new people, um, like that's, that can be an uncomfortable moment, but I, I'm okay with that. I've, i I've, I've come to a point in my life where I've learned that being uncomfortable is not a bad thing, right? It, it, it can actually produce amazing results. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I I'm I, but 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 embracing it and learning how to embrace it and learning to recognize it and, and it's, it's almost like a learned behavior where you can say hey, you know here's how I'm feeling but you know it's for the better and how do you how do you deal with that?
0: Yeah no I I, I know what you're saying absolutely uh, and it, when you're uncomfortable it's also when you're growing or you're learning uh, and uh, and so there's there's definite benefits to being uncomfortable. Uh, but it also has to be balanced with, you, you don't want to stress yourself out to the point where you are damaging your relationships, you know, your personal relationships or, or, or things like that. So like anything else, it's, you know, good balance is probably, uh,
1: you know, optimum. Yeah. Ripple, ripple effects. Uh, when, when the ripples start becoming bigger, um, you know, that's when you know that you maybe got to deal with something.
0: So let me ask you this next. Uh, and this is my favorite interview question that i that I ask, um, but it's also just something i I think is interesting to ask anybody. Uh, is what do you believe that most people around you don't? In other words, what is your most unpopular opinion?
1: Uh, this This one that's an interesting question, Joe. Um, and I you don't you don't get that one a lot. Um, cause no one really wants to hear your unpopular opinions, especially in, in this day. But, um, I think you can take this a couple of ways. Um, I guess the number one for me would be, it's okay to suffer a little bit and it's okay, uh, to be uncomfortable in those moments. And it's not that you're not prepared. Um, but you know, when, uh, when I'm in a situation where there's a lot of unknowns, you know, I I get very Um, hyper-focused. I know a lot of people do that way. And uh, I think an easy way to uh, equate this would be, you know, uh, distance running or something. In order to Mm -hmm. perform, like, at your best, you know, you have to basically run yourself up to redline and back it back it down a little bit you know just below that in order to perform and that's it truly is an uncomfortable suffering moment um as you try to get your best time or whatever whatever that may be um but if you put that context into uh into business um you know you can't be afraid of hard work right and and i've had like in the moment it's terrible right i've had i've had you know weeks and weeks of 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 just a tremendous amount of work to do or uncomfortable conversations with my customers. Um, uh, and it's, it truly is sort of like those suffering moments, long hours. Um, and these things can like grind on you big time. Um, and, uh, and controlling that grind is a big deal and having the emotional fortitude to, to see through it. But I, I'm a firm believer where, it's okay to suffer a little bit and it's okay because, it, because through that suffering, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I grow a tremendous amount
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, you know, I, I become acutely focused on what needs to get done. And oftentimes those are new, new, you know, areas of thought. Um, and, and, uh, and uh, you know, you have to, you have to develop on the fly in, in a sense in particular where you know, so you can you can be uncomfortable um, or you can suffer through things that you just don't know. And uh, th- that's when the learning happens. Right. Yeah. And uh, you know, you, I think back to college um, or, you know, my first job out of college where it was a whole new world for me. And uh, I w- it was I was you know, my nerves were rocked in a sense. But through those moments, uh, I learned, I grew and I and I understood Uh, what is needed to push through those moments where that that suffering I was I was experiencing actually led to almost enlightenment um, enlightenment and I'm not I'm not saying like I mean there's a there's definitely a a connection between go back in history like dark ages and then like the enlightenment that came afterwards but uh, if you take it down to a small scale to a personal scale I think uh, I think sometimes people need a little bit of adversity, and they need they need that sense. So you can prep as much as you want, and that always helps you. But I think you're always going to have those moments where uh, adversity or, or suffering or being uncomfortable. Don't shy away from it. You gotta you gotta face it head on. Um, meeting someone for the first time, uh, doing something in the business world, putting yourself out on a limb. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that's I think that's super important for people and don't be afraid to make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Um, but you know, learn how to deal with those mistakes and I think that's the preparation that you did. Um, and, uh, and like I said earlier, having a little bit of emotional fortitude to say, okay, you know, let's be mature about this. What did I do wrong? Let's do it better this time. Uh, but I think that's, that's an unpopular opinion in today's world where you know, you got a, everyone's looking for the easy path in a sense and uh you know uh, and there's examples of suffering like uh like time spent right uh two to three years in in a a job you don't like that's kind of suffering in in a sense but if you can see beyond it and you can take you know the foundational skills that you're learning in that job and apply it to your next role like that suffering was totally worth it and you might not have been able to get to that next spot whether it's physically in your career or in your own mind, um, without having to be uncomfortable and, uh, and, uh, and, and, push through those, those dark moments and just be strong enough to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but that's, I mean, I know I've worked with quite a bit of people, um, who cry foul, you know, when they say, Oh, that's, I can't be here. I have to do things on, I, I have to leave. I, you know, I have to, I, I don't have time for myself and, there's plenty of time for yourself in in, in the day, but, uh, it's like, you have to put that work in, in a sense, and you have to deal with those moments. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty unpopular opinion, especially with a little bit younger people where, you know, they want to work that, that, uh, that's not, not everyone, obviously, but a lot of people I know have come into the workforce and, and, and want to shut it off right when they leave. and, And that's, that's tough to do if you're, if you're trying to achieve something great. Um, yeah, that's I think that's pretty unpopular to suffer. <laughs> yeah, I, a little bit. So I, so I think about
0: that in a couple of different ways. One is what I've always said is when I'm when I'm learning is when I'm happiest and necessarily I'm learning when I'm uncomfortable. Cuz if you're comfortable you're not you're not learning. You're just on cruise control. Mm-hmm. Um so I I always like to try to at least put myself into new situations where where i 'm uncomfortable um, an- another another way of that people say that is uh, do things that you suck at do thi- you know try new things do things that you're you're specifically not good at uh, because it keeps you humble and it keeps you in that learning and growing mode um, and I think the the, the third way i 'm thinking about this just in hearing you describe the the last piece about our generation or the younger younger generation is this this also ties to my theory about why uh, most parents uh, our age are not very good parents <laughs> um, and it 's because life has been so easy for us, um, and it 's just continually getting easy easier um, we don 't have to hail a cab anymore because there 's uber we don 't have to uh, be bored. We don't have to sit in a waiting room and just be bored and th- keep our thoughts to ourselves. We can always turn on Netflix or or, or something uh, to distract us. And parenting, as you know, is really hard work, and it requires a lot of time and energy and focus and patience. And I think our generation is really just not used to that. We're, we're I, I think most people our age are, are thinking, probably subconsciously, they're thinking... Man, isn't there an app for this? Isn't there a company that can help me do this? Uh because it's it's so difficult and and we're not used to that anymore.
1: Yeah, no way. No way. And uh a solution to that like suffering to me because I I dealt with this a lot in my early days was uh, a little adage that was provided to me which was uh rest in action. Yeah. And I I thought I I told me that i was like what are you talking about i need to rest and uh but I, I ultimately you know as i kind of pushed through it was that i felt better and better and better as i accomplished the goals that i needed to do and the actions i needed to take and my my peace in, in a sense you know that that calmness that i'm always trying to attain came to me as uh, as i accomplished you know these tasks or the actions i needed to do and therefore i I started to rest in action. Um, and that was a that one stuck with me a little bit as well as the other one. But uh yeah, I, I continued to feel better as I accomplished more tasks. And it can be, you know, like my first job was, you know, making fifty contacts a day. That's a lot. That's a lot that's a lot of contacts, whether it's, you know, email, phone call, um, then full write ups on each one of those. So uh uh, yeah, re- resting in action. I, I truly believe that's true. Well, um, at least in my in my story. And and
0: just the follow up would be: Is there a
1: limit to that?
0: Is there such a thing as putting yourself purposefully through too much suffering?
1: Oh yeah, I think so. yeah yeah absolutely. You have to know yourself. Uh, you have to know your your physical bounds and 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 and, and where, when you got a cry uncle or. I mean, going back to like the working out stuff, like I know that if I don't do that stuff, my ability to grind and push through, you know, tense moments or moments um, wow. or, or tasks is severely inhibited because mm-hmm. my, my mind's not in the, in, in the state where I can handle all of that stuff. I get, you know, I get, uh, as uh, the Italians say, uh, and our families say agita in a sense, um, where <laughs> I just, it's just like this building in my chest and, uh, yeah, I think it can be definitely. Yeah, um,
0: but it's important to know where that line is. Uh, that way you can you can get to the line and and realize what it is, and then back off. So you so you can kind of find that balance. Whereas most people probably don't even get close to the line.
1: Yeah, but yeah, yeah, and, and to keep that going a little bit. You know, like when you have like you, let's say you have like uh, your two your best you have two vessels right and then you've had uh you got one vessel full of all the energy that you can put into the day and then you have another vessel where all that energy comes from and they kind of go up and down uh you know as one goes up the other one goes down but like knowing how to fill that second vessel up with the things that you need so you can achieve your day um so going going back to the working out stuff i have to I have to fill that halfway with working out, and the rest is filled obviously with uh, with family and, and children, and, and and doing things for myself, and taking t- time for myself you know, mm. to be a- to be alone. Because you in this world of like social and family, and and you it's so easy to get in touch with people that sometimes you just don't have time to to think on your own. So knowing like I know it's a weird analogy to to do over on a podcast, but you know those vessels, you know, right? you've yeah. got your work vessel, and then you've got like the vessel that you need you know, to be full in order to achieve your goals and your work life, so, yeah.
0: That's a really helpful visual, I think, for me, and hopefully for other people as well. Uh, I I think we're uh, running out of time here, but uh, and I want to be respectful of your time, but is there anything else you want to uh, promote in terms of some of the products that your company makes or or, uh, any of your own stuff?
1: Sure. Um, We've got a couple of new items that I think are are pretty disruptive, pretty exciting in the industry. Um, There's an item called, uh, uh, the brand's called Cheesy Chews. Um, Silly name, but fantastic product, which is a a Himalayan cheese shaped into uh, a dog knot that's very digestible, really easy for dogs to to chew on, in particular for puppies and senior dogs, where Himalayan cheese is traditionally a a very hard chew, um, and this is very soft. And you can treat it like a, you can feed it like a treat. So that that one's, a, you can find that at cheesychews.com. And then the other new innovation we're bringing to market is a, is a brand called Dentables, which is actually pretty exciting. Um, it's a, uh, it's a dog uh, dental chew, um, uh, but it's made of casein, which is sort of the other side of whey. Um, mm. Whey, whey is like a, a fast-burning protein. Casein's the slow-burning protein, uh, and this is all derived from milk-based product. Um, and it's an extremely high protein chew. So right now in the dental world and pet, you've got all these, you know, dog chews out there and dental chews that have super low protein levels, and they're putting a little fluoride in it, and that's what's uh, that's what's uh, helping the dogs' uh, teeth. But uh, this this is taking this is sort of flipping it on its head a little bit. Um, and the, the brand's called Dentables. and that one, uh, both of those items launched in the last six months, and that you can find that at Dentables.com. Excellent. Excellent. Mike, this
0: has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed chatting with you as always. Uh, Thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh,
1: You bet, Joey. Uh, Always a pleasure. And uh, thank you for having me. All right. Let's do it again soon. All right. Thanks. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Epic Human Podcast. Please remember to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever app you happen to be using. And if you want to keep up to date on the latest Epic Human Podcast, please follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Epic Human Pod. And if you have any ideas for guests or feedback on the show, please reach out. I would love to hear from you. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.